But under the fashion, I am talking about art, history, landscape, architecture, people, culture. You know, this is the first time I think Kurdish community is being represented with its entire heritage, with its entire history, which is about 6,000 years. I'm Michael Gloucester, and this is Fashion Cast. We're talking to fashion leaders and disruptors as we seek inspirational stories and expert insight into the world's most dynamic industry. Heard in over 70 countries, we're building an international fashion community based on fashion topics that matter. Please visit our website, fashioncast.co, to join our email list and learn more. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode of FashionCast, we introduce you to Leila Usal, founder and CEO of Bajar, and one of the most inspiring fashion entrepreneurs we've covered. Born and raised in a Kurdish region of Turkey, Leila has lived in the U.S. since 2013, where she has since graduated from the MIT Sloan School of Business and Management with a focus on high-luxury fashion and currently attends the Harvard Graduate School of Design. Her company, Bajar, a luxury watch designer and retailer, is a contemporary fashion brand with a mission to empower women and children in the Kurdish region of rural Turkey. Leila is joining FashionCast via Zoom from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome to FashionCast, Leila Usel. Could you please tell our audience how you began your incredible journey from Turkey, basically, into the world of fashion? Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me in here. Just a little bit of a background about me. I'm, I'm Kurdish originally from Turkey, born and raised on the border of Syria um, in a small town called Suruç. Uh, and I was there until uh, I was almost 20 years old. And then we moved to West and went to college and then ended up coming to the States. Um, and I have um, two children and I am currently residing in Cambridge. And um, you know, apart from Bajar, also continuing on my graduate school, at, um, graduate studies at, at, at Harvard. Um, how I ended up in uh, fashion world? I mean, I think my journey into the fashion world began with a deep passion for creativity and a desire to make a positive impact, especially uh, on a community where I was coming from. Uh, after moving to the States in 2013, I um, I got some education from MIT's School of Sloan um, in terms of like management and leadership in the high luxury fashion. And it all started from there. But um, the, the whole you know, point is just to, to empower women and children in the region, uh, especially in the region where I'm coming from. So I'm just interested, let's just talk about how you came from Turkey to the United States because you know, how easy it, is it to do that? Or how difficult is it to do that? And then did you have support here? Did you know where you were going? Were you accepted to MIT? What are some of the details in terms of kind of getting from that country and that region over to the U.S.? Sure. So before coming to in here, I was, when I was in um, third year, I think sophomore, when I was in college, I was offered a job in an urban design company in Istanbul, where I was happily working for about a year and a half as an urban planner and urban designer. And then um, in, I think after 2010, Turkey's political 
uh, all the political structure became a little bit more intense. And, and, you know, I already have a label on me, which is a Kurdish and plus a woman. So I actually got fired from my job. From a place oh. place where I was offered a job and worked for them for a year and a half. Oh my god! And yeah. when they found out that I'm Kurdish and I also um, I am technically not really supporting uh, the current president Erdogan and his you know policies towards people, so I found myself fired over the phone in just a couple of hours. Uh, oh, and sure. then I said, well, and that pissed me off. You know, I I was um, I was very happy in that in that place, and I was literally committed to my job and, you know, working on like ecological and sustainable bike path, et cetera. And then I said, well, you know what, if, you know, I can go anywhere in the world and I can live anywhere in the world and I can make that place my home because I, the way that I look at the world and all the countries in the world is like, Turkey is just a room in my home. And I said, I'm going to change that room. If I'm not getting enough sun or air in that room, then I better just, you know, exactly. relocate my pots and my roots. So I ended up coming to States. It was not easy. I wasn't expect, accepted to any schools in here. Uh, when I came, I did not know and speak English. <laughs> and, and it all started with a misunderstanding of an email from um, when I was doing my bachelor's, I have... Uh, I found a book and, and I couldn't um, get it in Turkey, but I needed that book for my studies. And then I said, well, let me just reach out to the author. Maybe they can you know, help me with that. So I used Google Translate and sent an email to the author uh, who is going to be my professor this wow. this year, Charles Swalheim of landscape, <laughs> landscape professor at Harvard GSD. And, um, and very kindly, they responded back to me with an article and then I used Translate and I used that information in my thesis and then I moved on. But then after I got fired, I said, well, you know, they already introduced some of the programs at, at, at Harvard. And when it happens in Turkey, when a professor is mentioning a specific program for you, it's kind of like an informal invitation. So I completely misunderstood the entire context of that email, also with the lack of language. With that, you know, with that, uh, after just I got fired, I said, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go. So it was a reason for me to come in here. And I never met him. And I found out that the person whom I was in touch was actually his assistant. So I ended up kind of getting involved at Harvard for a couple of months because they were working on a, on a neighborhood in Istanbul. And I was just a fresh graduate from the planning of uh, Department of Planning, uh, Urban Planning and uh, Design back in Turkey. So I helped out with Google Translate and everything. In the meantime, I registered myself to a language school and I stayed. And a year later, I met my husband and then we fell in love a couple days later. Thank we God you got fired. I was going to say that <laughs> getting fired turned out to be a blessing for yeah. you. It was. It's the best thing it that was. ever happened. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, but the determination helped. Yeah, she's so determined. It's such an inspiring story. Wow. Really inspiring. Yeah. Really, really, really. This is just unbelievable. Yeah, and it's one of those um, things that, you know, you think you're having a bad day. And <laughs> I, I just <laughs> listen then to Then you hear a story party. like this. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it crazy, but I think the moment you do not have any limitations in your brain, and if you look at the world from, like, a similar perspective, wherever you go, whichever communities that you're in, you know, I love people. I love exploring their cultures. So it made 
it made the way easier for me. Well, that's what's so great about fashion because it's so international and it's so inclusive that you meet people like you. So, you know, you will be heard probably in up to 70 different countries, your little story on this little teeny podcast. And it's very, very inspiring, like very. Christine said. So why did you choose the uh, watch market as your niche? I mean, the watch came in as a, like the fashion industry offers a huge variety of opportunities, right? And and I love, I love clothes. I love style. I love, you know, I, I kind of like, I'm very much into it personally. And then I thought of it like, you know, focusing on the watch in the industry would probably, I mean, it was very strategic. And there are many factors that influence this, influence this decision. And one of them is like, I could tell my story by crafting my cultural heritage into that watch of that people carry this every day. It becomes part of their style. It tells you the time. So I was able to point out the time that I lived in that particular geography in the earth via watches. And I just wanted that watch to, to just to do its own job. You know, like a watch was found to remind people the time. And that's why I kept them very classic. And then in the meantime, the watches are actually telling you a story. The motifs crafted on the straps of these watches are giving you a specific information about that timeline, about that community, about that culture. So it was very, I think uh, it was very important for me to, to, to craft that story on a place where it was, where it's, which is, you know, visible. Yeah, it's a multi-purpose accessory for you. Where most accessory shoes are shoes, I guess there's a, you know, and there's a fashion component for you. It's, it's a little more practical and functional too. So what's been the response from the Kurdish community regarding this, regarding this mission and this move and your success, it, it looks like you're connected with some NGOs over there. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, how well is Layla known in Kurdish land, quote unquote, and what has been the response? Overwhelmingly positive and supportive. I mean, That's I have to day. mention that, you know, I have been blessed uh, to, to communicate with my heritage and with my roots with our community. Because back in Turkey, I was, you know, born and raised in a war zone where people were being murdered just because they, they didn't speak Turkish, just because, just because they spoke Kurdish. And this is like, this is, um, this is known now, very much widely known. So my, my mom actually was so scared, really scared. And then she kind of like prevented all of us to learn Kurdish. She didn't want us to, to be in trouble. But I was like begging my friends to learn my language. So I learned a little bit, but never had the chance to practice very much. And then after, you know, after we had to move out because I, I wanted to go to school and in our region, the circumstances were not really helpful for my parents to send me to school because I, I became like the symbolic, um, the symbolic thing in the whole family, in the whole tribe that technically this is dishonoring the entire tribe because the girls are not supposed to go to school, you know, they, and I'm the only girl in my classroom and that brought a lot of trouble to my parents. So after graduating from high school, we had to move. So we moved out and, and then, then we, we moved out to the West in a place where I literally faced uh, very good and bad things at the same time. But then I realized that, wow, you know what? I didn't know that the, being Kurdish was 
such a such a you know such a trouble like when you're Kurdish it's not something really cool back in back in this western part so whatever and then after moving to the United States I started to dig deep into my own roots and history and my culture in which in Turkey you do not have much access to this information and I was able to find um, plenty of articles and books and documentary and stuff on us about us here in the States and I think that played a significant role for me to come up with a Kurdish um, cultural, you know, uh, focus in that brand. And then this, under the umbrella of fashion, I think attracted Kurdish community because I have been having so many texts and emails and messages and people are just so excited to see us being represented uh, in such a cool way, because I am not talking about, I mean, we're fighters, we're known as fighters, and uh, which is fine. This is a Good fighters too, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But under the fashion, I'm talking about art, history, landscape, architecture, people, culture. You know, this is the first time I think Kurdish community is being represented with its entire heritage, with its entire history, which is about 6,000 years. We're indigenous to, to Mesopotamia, and we have uh, scientifically proved 6,000 years on that piece of land. And I am documenting this under a watch brand and in a very sophisticated way. So it has been a blessing to to be supported by our people, to to to, to know that, that, you know, I became an inspiration for so many others that that they they feel empowered with this brand and they and and they're always welcome to be part of this this platform. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. now you're an inspiration to me. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like shocked. I yeah. feel like a, you know, I'm just a loser today <laughs> I know. after listening to you. We know, have no, like my God. no problems compared to what she went through. I didn't know there was such ethnic cleansing there in Kurdistan. I, it's just yeah. so much I'm learning. So is there any valuable lessons you can share with our audience? Definitely. I love people and we talk a lot. And I say, you should always embrace your unique vision. If you have something, you know, in your mind, it, it sometimes really doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what you think and how you think. And I think, you know, apart from this, like, you know, focusing on the quality, if, if they're coming in with the product focus, then, then the quality of the product and the impact of the production of that product on our earth, you know, all these little details would probably play a significant role in my, um, like as an advice, you know, and, and then, I think people should stay passionate and true to their purpose. I think they should, you know, seek continuous learning and improvement. I think they should seek for mentorship, which which helped me a lot. I think they should, um, you know, they should never give up. Um, you know, so many times I found myself mm-hmm. right in front of a huge barrier, but I get excited when I see barriers. I'm like, yes, yes, next. you know, exactly. I have something else now to yeah. to over to overcome. At some point you feel tired and exhausted because like, you know, it keeps just happening. And, but this is, this is, I found something motivating for me. It's well, a that's cool a, for me. That's so important, especially for fashion designers and people just starting out and small fashion entrepreneurs, because it's an incredibly difficult business. So, yeah, everything you just said is, um, is very motivational for sure. Yeah. Not giving up most important. Yeah. Believing in yourself, like you said. So Mm -hmm. I was just curious to know, how were you able to initially finance your startup? 
Oh, that was a tough one. So I, <laughs> I'm sure it is for, every, for every startup. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, I uh, I ran an Airbnb in our basement for about six years. Wow! And okay. I took care of took care of it like every single detail of that Airbnb. I treated it. It's like my little home, home away from home. And I have so many returning guests for, from all across the world. And that became my um, my main income for a while because staying at home with two babies, I have two children, they are 18 months apart. And they were babies when I started. This was like four years ago when the whole thing started. They were, they're, they're now, they're five and seven. So I was, and I wanted to raise them at home by giving that mom love and all that stuff. But then you get stuck, you have ambitions. I had so much, so many ambitions getting stuck in my heart, but then there's also children. So Airbnb helped me a lot. And then I got some um, loans that are designed for um, small businesses, you know, for um, for um, minority group women, et cetera. So it, it went well so far. Wow, that's inspiring too. So the money's there. You just have to look for it and you just have to think the Airbnb out of the basement. There's a new one. Wow. <laughs> I know. I started. I, yeah. So you started a business by starting a business. Yeah. <laughs> you you funded your business by like, starting I mean, a business. I, I saved some money with that. I was, so what we did with Bajar, uh, I just didn't dive right into the production side. So because I was coming up with my own heritage and culture and which we do not have much information back at home. And if I'm going to refer back to my roots and my culture, I wanted to educate myself really well. So the whole brainstorm, you know, and research side and, and uh, looking for this idea took about a year. And like constantly, um, I worked on it. I had some friends that who they became later my mentor. And then we moved into the next stage, which was design process. And that took a year too, because we just didn't want to design just random products. And then we worked on it and, and, you know, we, we, we literally went through all the stages one by one. I did not want to bring something that wouldn't really communicate well with people that, you know, that also like the quality of the product. So I jumped on a plane, I left the babies in here, went to Italy <laughs> over the night, mm. found some, you know, very small family owned ateliers, and then went to Switzerland and found really family owned small um, like uh, watch factories. So little by little, mm -hmm. they all became something. Yeah, you didn't want to compromise in the quality of the product. So how many people work at Bajir now? How many employees do you have or, or people that you outsource stuff? Are, are they actually on your payroll or your staff? Do you have photographers, designers? You know, um, do you have uh, marketing folks? Well, I work with the I do not have, I did not have any capital to have my own watch company or factory, which is, which requires an immense, you know, immense amount of money. So instead there are already existing factories and ateliers over there that they have been collaborating with big brands. And I found one that they have been over there for about a hundred years now. And it's like fourth generation is running the factory right now. So I collaborated with them and, and we developed such a very cool trust and relationship. We're still in touch. I am not willing to work with anyone else. We stick to each other. But um, I, I, the photographers, photographer, I have lots of friends and, and everybody took, took a little bit of a part in this, in this story because I call this 
our story. It's not my story. I might be able to get the opportunity to talk about this, but I know that, you know, the, the struggle that the Kurdish people are going through in the world are not unique to Kurdish people. There's so many other communities that they go through this, you know, they're, they have war that's covering their thousands of years of history or heritage that, you know, that, or there, there's poverty that people know them only with the poverty, but they are more than this, you know? So I knew that we have, we have something in common with, with, with different communities across the world. So I had photographer friends that came from Iran. <laughs> I had some other photographer friends that came from Armenia. I had, uh, I had a, a journalist that came from Syria. Uh, I had another writer that came from Iraq. And I had some um, recent uh, authors that I collaborated together that came from Netherlands and Germany that are supposed, you know, that turned out to be Kurdish, that had they, they had to leave the region when they were just children. Wow. So it's communicating with with different communities. Yeah, very collaborative. Yeah. Very, very, very much, collaborative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We will be right back with Leila Ussel after this message from Omay Organics. Hi, I'm Christine. You may know me as co-host of Fashion Cast but I'm also the founder and CEO of Omay Organics. I believe skincare should be simple. Our hyaluronic cream is all you need to nourish your skin morning and night. Sourced from the highest quality organic ingredients from around the world and manufactured in an FDA facility right here in the USA, this incredible cream works to firm, deeply moisturize, and smooth the appearance of your skin. Please visit omayorganics.com and use promo code FASHIONCAST to receive a 15% discount off your first purchase, and you will receive our monthly newsletter free. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are with Leila Yusel. She's from the Kurdish region of Turkey. She now lives in Cambridge, and she has started an incredible company called Bajir. So let's just talk about Bajir. A portion of all the proceeds from each sale go to specific NGOs that you've selected. And apparently those NGOs are working in the Kurdish regions. So how did you choose those specific NGOs? Which ones are they? What are they doing? And, you know, how often do you collaborate and speak with them? Are you on their boards? Are they on your board? You know, what is the relationship? Yeah, so at Bajar, I want to first point out that, you know, we are very much committed to empower women and children in the Kurdish community, Kurdish regions of Turkey. And I, I do hope that this expands to all the Kurdish regions in, in Mesopotamia. And to fulfill this mission, you know, we had to choose to work with a specific NGO that are aligning with our values and objectives. And, and um you know, the selection process involved a very thorough research and due diligence of, uh, like, to identify the NGOs with a proven track record of positively impacting in the Kurdish regions. So we found, I found, you know, I, again, jumped on a plane, went to the region, met about 40-plus uh, NGOs, and I decided to collaborate with two of them uh, for very specific reasons. They are located in the heart of the cities and they're very much in you know in, interacting and connected with the local local people 
across the rural part of the cities too. So it was important that they can they could identify who who would need what kind of support, and they would sometimes provide uh, financial support. Sometimes we're providing like training and you know um, health related support. And this was very important for me because I personally don't believe in uh, giving money away to people by thinking that I am helping them. I, I very much care about the sustainable part of this, uh, this donation. You know, I would prefer to provide a, like a skill set or, or, you know, uh, like something that they could sustain. People could sustain their own income and could sustain their own life without depending on me. Because if something happens to me, it means that this income is gone and then they are vulnerable again. So this was the idea, and and we decided to collaborate with these two NGOs. One of them is providing um, training skills to to women, uh, especially to the to the widows um, uh, and and young women in the region. That they they train them into rug making process and silk making and organic yarn making and um, uh, dairy making processes, and then they. Uh, this this organization is uh, connecting this woman to the national and international market. That's smart. So they literally are, you know, sustaining their income, giving them the skills that they can work on their own, uh, you know, like life. And the other one is the same, but they're more focused on stu- mainly students, children, uh, and young children, you know, in terms of education and health. And you know, I'm very much happy with them. I am on one of one of the NGOs boards. We do develop projects based on identifying um, the significant problem in the region, and and you know, and it's 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 going fine. I'm very happy with them. I'm blessed with them. Every time we ask this lady, this young lady, a she question, blows us away. <laughs> yeah, I become more impressed. I know. I'm just melting. Like, oh my god! <laughs> wow. Really? Wow. That's amazing. What an amazing story. Yeah, and then I think, well, I gotta ask her about her watches. I gotta I ask know, how there's so made. much to and, learn about. Yeah, about and you. then I feel like, oh geez, man, we should just <laughs> stay on, on your story. You should be look, you're are you gonna write a book? Because if you don't I write know, a book, Christine a book. and I are gonna write the book. We're gonna <laughs> come you. out to Cambridge and interview. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. You really you should. That's just amazing. Let's okay. do a collaborative work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, back on the topic of your watches. So you, they seem to be unisex. Are they unisex? Because they look masculine and feminine. They are. They, they are. are. Okay. And are you thinking of expanding and possibly making other jewelry items or you're just going to stick to watches? I mean, as for now, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to the watches, but we are very much open to feedback if we... Um, I mean, people are asking for different type of products, but I think, I, I think I want to make that sustainable first to focus on this product, you know, um, and to see how it um, goes, and then you know, if is there any opportunity appears, or if 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 the time arrives, and and that product that we end up saying yes, we're gonna do, you know, we're gonna produce this if it aligns with the with the values that we literally stick at the company, then maybe yeah. We're open to it. This is a branding bonanza. I mean, really, <laughs> I don't even think you know what you have, Leila. I really don't because it's it's amazing. For example, we interviewed a guy, this guy's name, 
he's from Detroit, uh, George the Jeweler, but he designed jewelry for celebrities. And it's not luxury jewelry, mm -hmm. but of course, if you're designing jewelry for celebrities and then you're within that circle and then people are saying, well, where'd you get that? Wow, I really like that piece. And next thing you know, the guy's designing jewelry for a lot of celebrities. I can see your watch like up and down Burberry Street there in Boston and um, yeah, and some of the top stores and just knowing the story and people coming in and saying, look, where's Bajir? I want one of those watches. I want to support, you know, Layla and all, and all the things she's doing. So that's just amazing. I, 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 well, you probably do know what you have, but anyway. So where did you come up with this motif of clarity, resistance, protection? Um, I think I know, but I think that's a really cool way to streamline the product and what you stand for. But how did you come up with that? And, and what does it exactly mean? So that I don't want to piss the men who are working very hard to look for their families and whose wives get stuck at home with the children, because this is like where my story starts. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Theo had his own, he's a very successful and very passionate person. And he does, he, he's, he's very good at his work. And, and he was, the main supporter of the family while I was, you know, we decided that I was going to give love and care to our children who stay at home because this is how I was raised and I think it's very important. So, but with two babies, you know, being left at home, he's visiting to Asia or something, on, he was on a business trip and, and I was at home and uh, Aya, my younger one, was just born three or four, four months old and our own was about, you know, under two years old. I think 10 days with intense sleep deprivation and tiredness <laughs> and they're very active children. I ended up, you know, they both were crying and then I managed to put them peacefully into their bed. So they were sleeping. Then I came downstairs and I had this massive nervous breakdown. Like it's crazy. I was just crying nonstop. And then I was so pissed off with myself. I said, I fought my entire life to go to school, to become an independent woman, you know? But look where I end up now. I'm sitting at home, <laughs> looking after my children, doing nothing. And my husband takes his briefcase and he goes away and his life moves on. And he did not, you know, I mean, he had to. But like, it kind of bothered me. And um, not in a very toxic or negative way, but I think it was a fuel for me that I reminded myself that why I fought my entire life for education and my family left home and we moved to somewhere else. And I, I, you know, I came to this country, like, what, what am I doing? So I, and then the sun popped up behind this cloud and then, you know, hit my body. And then I warmed up a little bit and I calmed down and I said, I wish I had something that could show my feelings that, that, you know, that I, because I, every time I find myself that I'm trying to explain myself, this was my life back in Turkey all the time trying to explain that, well, I'm going to school, I'm the only girl in, in, in my classroom, but I'm not doing something wrong, you know, or I am, I am doing this, but it's not something wrong. I'm doing that, but it's not something wrong. So I was kind of, I think I got tired of it. And then I, I, I learned that, you know, when I was not able to speak Kurdish, my grandma was actually making fun of me and told my mom in Kurdish that I wish we would teach her how to make a rug so then she would be able to talk to me because my grandma speaks Kurdish. I don't speak Kurdish. I only speak Turkish and she doesn't speak Turkish. So my mom was translating in between. 
And then I picked up the phone. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning in Turkey. I said, Mom, do you remember when my grandma told this to me? I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And she said, of course, I don't remember what I was talking about it. So she hung off the phone. And then I did some research and I found that Kurdish women, especially in the rural part, you know, we are not allowed to express our feelings. Our community is very conservative and really, very, you know, traditional and men oriented. And, and a woman is not much allowed to express herself, especially in the rural part, especially in the conservative families. And people in this country but are complaining. Very much. And I found that <laughs> we as women were very peaceful and kind and gentle and connected and also very intellectual. We found our own way of communicating. So our smart women ended up making rugs, putting their own stories through these motifs into their rug and communicating with each other. And they still practice this in a couple of Kurdish cities in Turkey. And I thought this is like the smartest, the most peaceful, the most beautiful way of communication. And then I said, well, I found it. Then my watch is going to have, you know, motifs that represent Kurdish women. And, and, and I end up with the protection. I mean, we are very protective of everything. And transparent, I very much, and m- m- most of us are very much, you know, into transparency and honesty and resistance. And then here we are. I found these motifs. I, I was inspired by the rug. And I took these three, you know, uh, motifs and I put that on the watch and, and I said, well, now I don't have to talk. Then my watch talks on behalf of me. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and I had no idea. I really didn't think you were going to go there. That's amazing. How women are always in the damn cage or in the box are always put second. Yeah, it's just awful. We can't complain here. <laughs> In, in the U.S., and, and that's women, why people from all over the world come here. But how many for this women dream. that have children, whether their husbands are at home or not, or you know, in and out, or you know, not on a trip, feel like, oh my God, I'm just this caged animal. I have so much creativity. I have mm-hmm. so much to give. I have so much intellect, and I'm at home, kind of stuck. And but it, it is the most important job. It, yeah, <laughs> you're raising the next generation. And that's why without you, saying, life saying, would hey, end. <laughs> I had to find a balance. I knew that I had to be here, but I had to find something for myself too. And that's where some women just, you know, and they don't get the support Mm -hmm. either from their spouses. Like you do need to find something. You do need to have your own life too. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, we are mothers, but we are not only mothers. You're creators, you're builders, you're visionaries. Yeah. 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 But I went back to school after they are in school. So, I mean, it impacts. So, as the English say, I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> I'm gobsmacked. Yeah. I'm in awe of you. I know. Right she on. makes me, uh, You <laughs> after hearing your story, you make me want to work so much harder. I mean, this is a big lesson. When there's a will, there's a way. So, where are your sales coming from? Back to Bajir and the watches and your success. Are you seeing, because it is clearly you know, based on the prices, I would think it's, and you've admitted it's a luxury brand. That's a whole nother podcast, the whole luxury brand market and so forth, which is really interesting. But where do you think your sales are coming? Are they primarily from the U.S. or are you getting support from around the world? Do you, are you selling in the U.K. and Europe or is it Asia? I mean, where? Yeah. Where? And are you just direct to consumer online or are you in stores? So my market is United States, Canada and Europe. 
mainly primarily and and i had a reason for that because i wanted my uh i wanted this brand to be known and to be understood in the contemporary arena but i and and and, and we do get plenty of sales in the states from canada uh, and across europe and we were also informed that the people in middle east and in in turkey and um some part of asia are ordering their watches through their friends to their to europe and then reshipping them to themselves because we don't we don't sell to asia we don't sell to middle east oh and we don't sell to turkey you should be in so the uae <laughs> in the uae for sure there'd be a big yeah. market i mean it's so interesting that we have Bajar was covered by uh, Leo Fischel Arabia about like two weeks ago, and and you know, and they they told us like this is the first in the in the um, history of the magazine that they covered the brand for about eight pages in print. Wow, I I, I want to see that. Yeah, send that to us. I'd like, love to see that. That was very, it was very cool well, we, actually. We'll so, are you going to start yeah. selling there, or what's the plan? I mean, we have been offered to have stores um, in in. Uh, couple places in Middle East and in Asia, in Singapore too. I'm like, what's going on in That's here? That's so amazing. What's going on? Your brand's exploding. That's, That's so, what's going Oh my on. God, I'm so excited for you. No kidding. Yeah, if you That's send amazing. that article, we'll link it in the show notes sure, for sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. exciting. It is. See, it is. your I mean, dream is coming to life. Eight pages. Yeah. Right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> right in front of us. This so is amazing. So we are amazing. online and we also are um, located in... Um, in a luxury boutique in, in Soho, in two stores in New York. Oh, oh you're really? in a luxury boutique in Soho. Yeah, because yeah. I have a, I wanna go I check have it a out. son that lives right there, too. Yeah, oh. yeah. I'll have to have yeah that's go. right. Yeah. Go check I'm, it out. Absolutely. Awesome. I didn't know you had a store. So now you can expand. Yeah. Well, New York's yeah. a place to be if oh, you're doing Oh, of course. This. Yeah. So do you have any final advice for young designers, budding entrepreneurs? I mean... I guess they just have to listen to the show and they'll have all the advice they need. But is there something that we missed or something you, you thought from a business standpoint that you would think, okay, if I would have known this, I would have, I would have, you know, truncated my journey quite a bit. Or is there just nothing? You just kind of have to go through all these peaks and valleys. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody writes their own story and everybody's story is very unique to themselves and and it's filled with their own challenges and i don't believe that people let's say in the modern communities are not facing any problems i think they also have significant challenges it's just a, it's a different challenge than the ones that are in other parts of the world so i would say that you know embrace your passion keep learning build a strong very strong network be very resilient and understanding your audience prioritizing i think sustainability and social impact and um you know getting some help in terms of mentorship and staying very much true to yourself and your vision and always taking risks you know and 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 i think the final one would be like keep believing in yourself you know even even if people think that it's not something that you should do do you just you wouldn't know if you wouldn't try even if you're going to fail at the end, you're going to, you know, have your own failure, have your own experience. That's a perfect answer. Great advice. That's I agree with advice. everything. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect. I couldn't have said it better. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have written it. I don't know. I'd have to think a long time to come up with that answer. <laughs> Just beautiful. Beautiful. Leila Usel, it's been an honor and a pleasure. 
a big honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for appearing on Fashion Cast. It's my pleasure. It's, it's really an honor to be in here to get to know you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Fashion Cast. To hear more shows and join our email list, please visit our website, fashioncast.co. You can also join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. Until next time, I'm Michael Gloucester for Fashion Cast, the voice of fashion.